0: Please turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. 1 Peter 1, verse 13. If you're using the black Bibles, that is found on page 1014. So far in Peter's letter that we've been studying, he has encouraged the Christians to whom he was writing, he's encouraged them by reminding them of their glorious salvation given to them by the triune God. He, he reminded them how God the Father planned their salvation by setting his love on them before the foundation of the world. Then God the Son accomplished their salvation by, by living, dying, and rising again in their place as the sinless God-man. And then God the Spirit applied their salvation to them by, by setting them apart through the new birth and uniting them to Christ through faith. And so as Christians, they and we today who are Christians already enjoy many blessings of our salvation. But Peter's been telling them that the best is yet to come. There's so much more that is to come. They have a glorious inheritance waiting for them in heaven. It's what he called their their living hope. It's a living hope because they have a living Savior. This inheritance is secure their future salvation is certain because Jesus Christ has died and has risen again. His bodily resurrection is the first fruits of their future resurrection in glory. So Christ is the first fruits of the, the hope, the, their inheritance that awaits them. And again, he was writing to, to Christians who were scattered. He was writing to Christians who were suffering in, in a fallen world. Peter is is explaining to them and he's encouraging them by by telling them despite their suffering despite being grieved by these various trials they are truly blessed last week we saw he he showed them they are blessed to live in a time of fulfillment and they are blessed because they have an eternity of immeasurable blessings waiting for them they'll have an eternity of God lavishing his grace on them again and again and again And that's our future as well, who are in Christ. And so we are truly blessed. And so that brings us up to today, to verse 13. And and it's a joy to, again, be encouraged by those blessings. But but now the the question is, well, as as we wait for our future inheritance, how are we as Christians to be living now? We live in this fallen world. We're, yes, heaven's our home, and that's, we can't wait to see Jesus and be with him forever, but, but right now he has us here. So how are we to be living now? Well, that's the, the question that Peter begins addressing in this next section here in his letter, beginning in verse 13 and really going down through into chapter 2. Today I want to read verses 13 through 21, though we're going to spend most of our time just on verse 13 alone. So I'd ask you to stand please in honor of God's word and follow along as I read now verses 13 through 21 of 1 Peter chapter 1. What a joy it is to hear God's word together now. Therefore, prepare your mind, excuse me. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on Him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout this time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Thanks be to God for his word. Please be seated. We all look to something or someone for our joy, for our peace, for our security. In other words, we all place our hope in something or someone to meet those greatest needs of our soul. And so, my question for you today is where are you looking? Where are you looking for peace and joy in this life? Where are you looking for security in the future? The world offers many deficient options for that. But the Bible tells us that there is only one place where we should be setting our hope. And what we're going to see today and consider today is that where we set our hope is crucially important, because it has an essential impact on our lives. As I said earlier, we're entering this section of Peter's letter where where God, through the Apostle Peter, gives several commands for how we are to live now as Christians. And what we see in the text is that our conduct is rooted in the gospel, right? The, the commands of Scripture are always rooted in the gospel and, and, and what God has done and who we are as Christians. God doesn't just say, hey, do better, right? No, He if initiates and does a work in us and then from that then flows, is to flow our conduct. And that's what we see here in First Peter as well, that our The commands are rooted in the gospel. For one, he's already been talking about the gospel this whole time, but verses 14 through 16 link commands for holiness to our adoption. As obedient children, we should be holy as our Father is holy. Then verses 17 through kind of around 19 or even you could say 21 point to our redemption as cause for our obedient living. But what I want to uh, focus on today is bookending those sections there Peter directs our attention to our hope. To, this, to our certain future that awaits us when Christ returns. Look again at the text with me. Verse 13 says, Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Then we have these, these different commands, like I said, that are linked to the gospel. Then verse 21 circles back around and ends by pointing us back to our hope. Notice how verse 21 ends. So that your faith and hope are in God. So isn't that interesting? Book book ended, if that's a word, (laughs) around this section instructing us how we are to live now is the subject of our hope. Now, Lord willing, we'll dig into those middle sections another time, but today I just want to focus on hope. I want us to consider the connection between our hope and our conduct because that's where God's word is pointing us. The Bible teaches that our actions, our actions right now are directly related to where we are placing our hope. If you're taking notes, that's point number one in the outline. What we we hope in determines how we live now. What we hope in determines how we live now. In other words, where we look to give us what we need, that's what I mean by hope in, where we look to give us what we desperately need directly impacts how we live now. And, and you see from the little circle diagram there, the, the opposite is also true, right? <laughs> you can go the other direction to see what you're hoping in. How we live now demonstrates what we're really hoping in, okay? So the two are, are, are linked. The choices we make, the values and pursuits of our lives demonstrate where we are looking to satisfy our deepest needs, Let me give you just some examples we could think of many. Some people place their hope in, we could say, money, success, financial security, whatever you want to say. For those people who are placing their hope in money, they think money will provide the ultimate security and peace. Therefore, their actions are focused on how can I make the most money, how can I preserve the money I've made, Is it, do I need to pursue multiple degrees? Is it, is it aggressively climbing the corporate ladder? Is it, is it being engrossed over my investments? That's because their hope is in money for their security and peace. Others place their hope in their beauty and health. They are consumed with diet, exercise, multiple products, Right? You know, and I understand good stewardship, all that. We know that. But I'm talking about those who take it too far, right? They're consumed with that. If I can stay a certain size, if I can maintain a certain strength, if I can look a certain way, then I will have what I need. That's where they're placing their hope. And you can see it by their actions, by what they think about, by what they pursue, by what they're obsessed over. For some, they place their hope in relationships. If they are single, maybe they are, are just constantly uh, consumed about uh, getting married. If they're married, maybe they're counting on their spouse to meet their deepest needs. Or, or it doesn't even have to be marriage. It could, it could just be that they're linking their joy and, and security to how many friends they have or how many things they get invited to. That's where they're placing their hope. Similar to that, some people place their hope in the approval of others. If I can get enough likes, (laughs) if I can be well thought of by people, then my life will feel secure. Then I will have what I really need. Others place their hope in this country. If we can just get the right person elected into office, then he or she can fix this mess. Many examples, right? And, and I hope you understand most of these examples are not necessarily bad things to desire. Some might be. But when those things become our greatest goal so that we're setting our greatest hope in them, then those, that's when things are wrong. That's when things are out of whack because then those goals become our, our greatest needs and they become like a functional god or savior to us it's like we're looking to those things you know whatever it is finances approval we're looking to those things to be our savior and that means we're dedicating our lives to pursuing those things to securing those things to maintaining those things we'll make whatever sacrifices they require and again that's why it really becomes like a functional god (laughs) Whatever sacrifices they require, I will do. Right? Because my dependence, my joy is tied to, to having that. That's where I put my hope. One indicator, by the way, it, about that, if, you're, if, it, if things have gotten out of whack, is how do I respond when I don't get it? It's fine to want relationships, but how do I respond when I don't have the relationships I would like? Or, you know, again, we have certain desires for our spouse but how do I respond when they're not meeting those desires maybe for our health right who doesn't want (laughs) to be healthy how do I respond when I don't have that how do I respond when I experience a blow to my finances am I merely disappointed which would be reasonable or am I devastated to the point of despair and, and, and am I then becoming obsessed with thinking, how can I get back there? How can I reclaim that, that I've lost? That's when you know things are out of whack. Like I said earlier, the world offers many um, possibilities for misplaced hope. Many temptations for misplaced hope. Many wrong places to be looking for our greatest needs. But God's word tells us where we should be setting our hope. And we see it right here in verse 13, don't we? Spelled out so clearly. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And that brings us to point two in the outline. To live as God's people in our conduct. Remember, that's what this section is all about. To live as God's people in our conduct, we need to set our hope fully on God and our promised salvation. He's talking about our promised salvation. He's been talking about it from verses 3 through 12. Now he says it again, the grace that will be brought to us with the revelation of Jesus Christ. Like I said, he circles back around in 21, talks about our hope is in God. So our hope needs to be set fully on God. And our promised salvation. Set your hope fully, verse 13 says, on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay, what is that talking about? When is the revelation of Jesus Christ? Well, that's talking about the Lord's return, right? That's talking about his second coming, when he will be revealed, when he will come in the clouds, as Mark 13, 26 says. He will come in the clouds with great great power and great glory. The revelation of Jesus Christ. Remember, we serve a risen Savior. Christ had rose from the dead, a bodily resurrection, fully God, fully man. He ascended into heaven. He's at the Father's right hand, reigning now as fully God, fully man. And when he ascended, in he, he, there in Acts 1, he, he told his disciples, well, no, excuse me, it was the angels that told the disciples, well, you know, why are you looking up into heaven? The same Jesus who you just saw, he's going to come in the same way. (laughs) He's coming again. And so verse 13 says that when Christ returns, at his second coming, grace will be brought to believers. That's, That's Peter's kind of way of summing up what he's been talking about all those verses before, right? Grace. What an appropriate way to sum it up, right? It's all these blessings. He's talking about our salvation. Specifically, he's talking about our future salvation. All these blessings that are ours because of God's grace. We don't deserve them. It's, he simply chose to, to be merciful. He chose to be loving. He chose to be gracious. He chose to have favor on us. So when Christ returns, think of, think of what awaits us. Again, think of, of our future. Think of how history is going to unfold and the part we get to play in that. They're in that, at least, I'll say. When Christ returns, he will eradicate all sin. He's going to gather all his people. Believers will be raised in glorified physical bodies with which we will see our Lord Jesus Christ. And then together with all the saints, we will worship the Lamb forever in the perfection of the new heavens and the new earth. We will enjoy God together for all eternity. In a place of no more pain, no more death, no more sorrow, no more sin. That's our future. That's our certain future. That's our inheritance. And Peter says, that's what we should be setting our hope on. Because that will impact how we live right now. Peter exhorts us, set your hope fully on the grace that is already yours But it will be revealed, it will be brought to you, it will be given to you. Remember, it's being kept in heaven for you, it's secure. You're being guarded by faith, you're going to get it. Set your hope fully on that. When Christ returns, it will be given to you. We will be with Christ and all the saints forever. We will enjoy the glorious presence of God forever. All sin, all temptations, all the ungodly things of this world will be gone forever. He says, set your hope fully on that. Because it reminds us, even as, even as um, Brandon prayed, our greatest need has already been met. Our sins are already forgiven. We have been reconciled to God and we know that one day we will be with him forever. And so that, that blessed reality, that amazing grace, must impact How we live now. Do you see the connection? When we think about the reality that awaits us. It should impact how we are living today. Why would we clamor after the approval of others. When almighty God loves us and has accepted us forever in Christ. Why would we live for the things of this world when the world and its desires will pass away, 1 John 2 says? Why would we look to another person to meet the deepest needs of our soul when we've already been made right with God and we're going to get to be with Him forever and enjoy Him? Why would we put our hope in our bodies that are wasting away when we've been promised perfect, glorified bodies when Christ returns? Why would we look to this world for our security when we are citizens of Christ's eternal kingdom? A kingdom that will never pass away and that will one day be visible filling the whole earth. You see the connection. Our our hope, our guaranteed future impacts our lives now. What we're setting our hope in, what we're looking to. For our greatest needs impacts our lives now. Peter reminds all Christians that our hope is in God. Our hope is in God and what he has promised to do for us when Christ returns. And again, this should drive our actions. Because we've been reconciled to God and because our future is being with God forever it should increase our appetite for God now. It should be increasing our desire for God now. Because Christ has secured our eternal standing with God, it frees us up to to serve God with a, a clear conscience. Because we will enjoy God's eternal kingdom forever, we should be motivated now by seeking the good of that eternal kingdom. Because we have been and will be shown such amazing grace for all eternity, it should be multiplying our desires to please God now. And again, not in some way of, of paying him back, certainly not in some way of trying to maintain what has been given to us. No, that is all by grace. We can never pay him back, and he doesn't expect us to. But it's just, it's just out, of, out of love, out of gratitude, out of who we are in Christ, out of the reality of where I belong now and where I'm headed and where I'll be forever. I'm going to be with God forever. So why not abide in Him now? To live as God's people in our conduct, we need to set our hope fully on God and on our promised salvation. That was point number two. But how do we do that? How do we set our hope fully on God? What does that look like? What does that entail? Well, that's point number three. Setting your hope fully on God requires mental preparation and discipline. Or you could say mental preparation and resolve. It doesn't just happen. We don't just, because we're Christians, we don't just say, well, okay, now my, now I just kind of let go, let God, and now my, my hope is in God. That does, that, no, we have to take, be intentional. We have, to, we have to, Peter says, we have to prepare our minds. Look at verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Preparing your mind there. It literally means girding up the loins of your mind, right? The picture, uh, and they would have got that back then, the way they dressed, right? But the picture is of a, of a man who's got this long flowing robe, right? But now he needs to run. Now he needs to do some physical work. So what does he do? He girds up his, <laughs> he ties up his robe, right? He, he gathers it, tucks it into his belt so he can run, so he can be intentional. That's what he's saying we need to do with our mind, To set our hope fully on the grace that is to come, it requires us preparing our minds, girding up the loins of our mind. It it, it requires mental preparation. Another way of saying that is setting our hope fully on our future inheritance is an act of faith that requires disciplined thinking. Isn't that interesting? I mean... It's all over the Bible, by the way, I'll mention a few verses in passing, but I mean there as I, I you know I, more more passages kept coming to mind, or one passage would lead to another, and it's like, oh my goodness, this is everywhere in the Bible. How we think, what we think about, how we train our minds is is vitally connected to how we live as a Christian, and it's 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 essential for us to be able to set our hope fully on um, the grace that will be ours when Christ returns. And what we know is we need help in our thinking. Our minds need to be prepared. They need to be renewed daily. We need to think rightly about God and about our circumstances. And the reason mind is so important is understand we're not just talking only intellectual head knowledge, although it certainly is, is that, But for Peter and for the New Testament, our mind determines or controls our actions. We all have a control center in our life. Sometimes the Bible refers to it as our heart. Sometimes the Bible refers to it as our mind. But either way, it's talking about our control center. And so the mind is very important. Here's a couple of parallel passages that you could jot down. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Which again, in a very similar way, if you know the book of Romans, I mean, for the first 11 chapters, it's mainly theology and, and doctrine and, and the gospel and the promises of God, right? Then in 12, it starts to get into the application, how we are to live, just like Peter's at in his letter now. Romans 12.1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Sounds a lot like what Peter says in verse 14 and 15, doesn't it? Verse 2 of Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Philippians 4 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever's lovely. Do you think our hope and our the future promises are lovely? Yes. Whatever is commendable, if there's anything excellence, if anything worthy of praise, think about these things. As Roman or excuse me, Philippians 4 8. And then verse 9 says, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. See, what you think about affects your actions. And, and that, that may seem so obvious to you, and, and if it is, I, I'm sorry to belabor it, but, but I, I, I fear that sometimes as Christians we just kind of put our brains in autopilot. But what the, this text reminds us of is we cannot, as Christians, just put our brains on autopilot and expect to flourish in the Christian life. Why? Why? We walk by faith and not by sight. I mean, I I don't have to think too hard to kind of see and experience the things of this world, right? Because they're all around me. I don't have to think too hard to just kind of, you know, thum, 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 through the the phone, right? That's why we like doing it, quite frankly. So we can check out, so we can be lazy and just kind of, okay, yeah, okay, there's a... There's a a cat that's, you know, juggling a ball of yarn or something. I don't know. Right? And that's, okay, that's fine. But, no, to live the Christian life, we, we walk by faith and not by sight. Our inheritance is something we can't see yet. Right? It's been promised to us. But, we see it through Through the words of Scripture. We see it through our minds engaging the words of Scripture. I heard R.C. Sproul this week. He was talking about hope. It was interesting. He was actually preaching on Romans 5. And um, he was talking about hope is basically faith moving forward, right? He was kind of saying, you know, faith is like, you know, us looking back and saying, okay, I believe this. You know, this is what God has done. Whereas hope is like faith in what God's going to do. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So what we think about, what we take into our minds is what, for us to be thinking about setting our hope on the things God has promised, we need to be preparing our minds and and saturating them with the the promises of God, with, with Scripture. We live in a fallen world that aggressively promotes the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, First John two sixteen says, right? So that's what we're getting bombarded with every day. So unless we intentionally are putting the promises of God and the realities of God's kingdom before our minds, before our affections, then our actions are just going to naturally drift toward the things of this world. And our desires are going to drift toward the things of this world, right? Because our actions follow our desires. So again, we must be intentionally bathing our minds with the truths of Scripture, with the promises of the Gospel, in order to set our hope fully on God and His promised salvation. That's why Peter says, prepare your minds for action. This is a battle, right? <laughs> this requires action. Action. what about our thinking needs to be renewed? I think he he touches on that in verse 13 as well. It's it's the last point in our outline. To set our hope on God, we need to be clear-sighted about who God is and all that he gives. Kind of talking about two sides of the same coin here. And a a commentator worded this way, and I I liked it. We need to be clear-sighted about who God is and all that he gives. And we need to not be drunk on the priorities and promises of this world. So there's the put off and put on, right? To set our hope on God. In other words, what is it about our minds that needs to be renewed? Well, for one, we need to not be deceived, not be drunk on the priorities and promises of this world. Why, does, why do you say it that way? Well, because he says be sober-minded in verse 13. Be sober-minded. Therefore preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Right? what what does what, what is it like when you're not sober? Right? You're, things are not clear. You're you're deceived. You're 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 not perceiving things correctly. You're maybe thinking things that aren't true or you're, or you're chasing after things you shouldn't or whatever, right? But you're, you're distorted. And he's saying, don't let your minds be that way. Be clear-sighted about who God is, what he has promised us, what, he's, what he gives us. Be clear-sighted about the realities of Christ and his kingdom. And then on the flip side, don't be deceived. Don't be drunk on the, on the prom, priorities and promises of this world. And so again, if you're not intentionally putting the word of God and the promises of God before your mind on a regular basis, then you're going to fall into this. And like I said, this comes in a section talking about our conduct, talking about us being set apart, being holy for God, being obedient to our, our Father. To our Lord and Savior. And so let me say it this way. And this is not hyperbole. If you're not intentionally putting the word of God and the promises of God before your mind on a regular basis. Then you should expect to struggle to live a set apart life for the Lord. And I know we all struggle. I mean it it is a struggle. It's going to be a struggle. But I mean you should expect to really struggle. (laughs) you'll not be very successful at, said being, at living a holy life before the Lord if you're not bathing your mind and heart with Scripture. Without preparing your minds by saturating it with God's Word, then the world will increasingly conform you into its way of thinking. Wasn't that what Romans twelve two was saying? Don't be conformed to this world. But through the renewal of your mind live a life set apart for God. We must be clear-minded about the lies of this world. Remember, the, the, the propaganda of this world. We must be clear-minded about the fact that the things of this world are passing away, 1 John two seventeen says. Again, the world's going to be pumping all these priorities, the things I was talking about earlier, money, beauty, relationships, success, comfort, that's the priorities of the world. But we have to be clear-minded about that. Well, wait a minute. What's really true? What does God say about those things? What, what does even experience teach us about those things, whether it be, you know, biblical accounts or what we've observed ourselves? Well, it teaches us that those things don't satisfy. It teaches us that those things do pass away. We must be clear minded about how kingdoms of this world rise and fall, but only the kingdom of God abides forever. That's an important thing to be clear minded about, isn't it? So we don't put our hope in our country to solve all our problems. We must be clear-minded about what Philippians 3 says about the enemies of the cross versus us as believers. Let me read for you Philippians three nineteen, talking about the enemies of the cross, which in a way would describe all believers. I mean, he was talking about a specific group of false teachers. But their end is destruction, Philippians three nineteen, Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. You see why I'd say that describes all unbelievers, doesn't it? That was 319, but 20 says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like His glorious body. You see what Paul is saying to the Philippians? Don't be like them. Don't be setting your minds on, on earthly things. Think about your hope. Think about where you belong already, where you're a citizen already. Think about your Savior who's returning. And in Colossians, he even says it explicitly, right? Set your minds on things above, not on things below. So let us be clear-minded about that. We must be clear-minded about the truth. And, and please, everyone, listen, especially young people, because maybe you've been spared from it. A lot of us haven't been. But one day it'll happen to you unless you're clear-minded. We must be clear-minded about the truth that sin brings. Temp- might bring, I'll say, that sin might bring temporary pleasure, but that there, there are always painful consequences afterwards. Right? Consequences that we reap lots of times, even immediately, let alone what, what we could reap down the road. Sin... Right, the Scripture talks about the fleeting pleasures of sin for a season. Sin promises temporary pleasure, but it brings lasting pain and consequences. We need to be clear-minded about that. So that's the put-off, but then let's be clear-minded about what Scripture says. In God's presence, there is fullness of joy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Matthew 5. At God's right hand are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 1611. Oh, let us be clear-minded about the truths of Scripture. And we're only going to be clear-minded about them if, if we're putting them before us regularly. And I've been so encouraged, by the way, even just this week, uh, being around different people from the body and just hearing how... Um, People are listening to sermons and podcasts, and I mean, you know, whether it be in the car or on their phone, and praise God for that. We are so blessed that we can be bringing in God's truths many ways and at many times. (laughs) Praise God for that. But that requires discipline, doesn't it? That requires a choice. What am I going to let flow into my heart? Well, let me just wrap up with this, and I want to encourage you, and this is what Romans 5 talks about, that hope does not put us to shame. We're talking about setting our hope fully on God and the salvation he promises, the, what the grace he's going to give us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And that's what I'm exhorting you to do through the pages of Scripture here. But let me encourage you with the truth that God and our future salvation is a secure place to set our hope. Remember, this, what, that's, what Peter's, that's the point he's been hammering home all this time, is our future inheritance is guaranteed. It's secure. Our future is certain because Jesus is alive. That's why it's a living hope. The resurrection shows that Christ has purchased our salvation, and it's been paid in full. And so like verse 21 says there at the end, our faith and our hope are in God. Our faith and our hope are in a God who never lies. They're in a God who keeps his promises. They're in a God who has already set his love on us. They're in a God who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. They're in a God who's already forgiven us and declared us righteous. They're in a God who has already indwelt us and adopted us into his family. So our future salvation, our, our future inheritance is guaranteed. The Father has promised it. Christ has secured it. And the Spirit has already provided the down payment guaranteeing the rest of the payment is coming. So be encouraged. You will not be disappointed for setting your hope fully on the grace that will be, is to be revealed to you or that is to be given to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And as you do that, God will work in your life to increase to sanctify you and live for his glory. And so, loved ones, by God's enabling, by God's enabling, let us prepare our minds by daily meditating on the character of God and the promises of God, enabling us then to set our hope fully on God and his promised salvation. And as we do that, may our lives reflect that Christ is our joy, that Christ is our peace. And that our confidence and our joyful expectation is being with Christ one day. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for your grace. We praise you for this future that you have given us. Lord, please teach us, Lord. Show us areas where we're setting our hope on the wrong things. May you work in our lives. And if there are any here today, Lord, who who don't know you, who don't yet know this, the the hope that is is available in Christ. Oh, may you graciously and powerfully work in their hearts today. Open their eyes. Unite them to Christ through faith, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 We're going to continue with our worship by taking the Lord's Supper. So, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Titus chapter 2. Just want to give you one more passage that, again, kind of piggybacks off what we've been talking about today. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. You know, I was thinking about the Lord's Supper and our hope and how God gives us the Lord's Supper as another reminder of the grace that is, has already been shown to us in Christ and of the, and of the grace that we're waiting to res, uh, be given to us at Christ's return. So Titus 2, 11 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And so may the Lord's Supper today, the, the, the bread and the cup, may it be a, a, a physical rem- reminders to you. Of what Christ has done How he's redeemed you How he's died for you How he's secured your salvation And your future inheritance And may it also then just God use it to um, encourage us and, and, and cultivate our love for Christ And may it remind us and as, as he says uh, As often as you, you take and drink it You proclaim the Lord's death Until he comes May it remind us that Jesus is coming again And that he is our blessed hope. He is who we are waiting for. He is our greatest, who meets our greatest need. And so may the bread and the cup uh, encourage your heart that way today. If I could have the men come forward, please, who are going to wait on us.